The text for the sermon this afternoon is the word of God as we have summarized it and confessed it in Lord's Day 42. That is what we confess concerning the Eighth Commandment. And let us just read the Eighth Commandment before we turn to Lord's Day 42. God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not steal. And then we turn to our confession in Lord's Day 42. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may. Deal with him as I would like others to deal with me and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. Thus far, our confession. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the striking elements of our confession regarding the Eighth Commandment is that it speaks of the squandering of gifts. Connected to that, it also speaks of working faithfully in order to give to those in need. That is seen as being connected to the commandment not to steal. It seems a little odd. Stealing is to take something that doesn't belong to you. How can you steal from yourself? How how are laziness, idleness, and not working connected to stealing? And, And how is giving, not giving, to those in need connected to stealing? One might be able to see underpaying employees or taking advantage of employees as stealing, but not being charitable, not giving to those in need. How is that stealing? As we will see this afternoon, our confession is indeed in agreement with the teachings of Scripture on this point. This indeed falls within the realm of the Eighth Commandment. Because behind the commandment, do not steal, we find the interrelated ideas of of loving God and loving our neighbor. Our love for our neighbor grows out of our love for God. It means we take care of our neighbors. What we see is that behind the Eighth Commandment is a proper view, a proper perspective on gifts and goods. And that's what we're going to look at this afternoon. We're going to see that our gifts and our goods are for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbor. So in the first place, we're going to see how the use of our gifts and goods are to the glory of God. That is our ultimate motivation. That's our ultimate desire. As the Holy Spirit renews us more and more, that becomes our overwhelming desire. We long to praise God. We long to have what we need so that we can praise God. 
You know, it's interesting when you look at the Old Testament prophets, when, when they see bad times falling on Israel, they long to have that, the good times restored so that sacrifices, so that proper worship of the Lord can continue. And that's what we have. We long to have our daily bread so that we may have what we need to praise God, to bring Him glory. We, we long to have our gifts, our abilities cultivated, improved, fostered, so that we can produce works that praise God. Our lives are focused on that. Now, if our lives are not, if we're, if we're not really focused on bringing glory to God, what that means is that we have not really understood the wonder of who God is. We're not caught up in the awe that comes from realizing who God is and what He has done. We talk about that as the fear of God, the fear of God that you, you hear throughout the Old Testament. That is not that we are shaking in our boots about God. There's, there's an element of that. But the fear of God is really an awareness that washes over us as we stand before God and realize who He is. We realize His greatness, His power, His majesty. And we fear Him. We, we know that we stand by the maker of heaven and earth. We know who He is. We know that He is our Creator, our Redeemer, and He is our Renewer. Everything we are, everything we have is from Him and it is to be for Him. So a proper view of gifts and goods involves an understanding of who God is and what that means for us as we live our life today. Now many of you may have heard of the phrase that the Protestant work ethic that is a theory that secular philosophers and historians developed to explain why believers, reformed believers during the time of the Reformation worked so much harder than the previous generations of believers. They were part of that middle class that, that made factories, worked hard, and, and became very wealthy. A philosopher named Max Weber came up with the phrase, he had, a, he had a theory about why these Reformed, these Protestant believers worked so hard, and he said it was all connected to their view of election. The theory went like this, Protestants believed that if their businesses or if their companies were, were blessed, it was evidence of God's electing love. God was, was blessing His elect, and so what they did is they worked all the harder so that they could see evidence of that election in how God materially blessed them. Now, for those of you who are university students, you've probably still heard that caricature from your history profs or your, your philosophy profs. But that is a complete misunderstanding of the Reformed and the biblical view of work. There's a Reformed philosopher named Nicholas Wolterstorff. He wrote a a book where he interacted with this uh, called Until Justice and Peace Embrace. And Walter Storff, who's a philosophy prof from Yale, showed how the Protestants, the Reformers, had a belief about work which fundamentally altered the way they approached work and the use of their gifts. Work for the Reformed believers was an act of worship. It was a, a natural outworking of their knowledge of God, their knowing God. 
previous generations of Christians, the medieval Christians, those living in the Middle Ages, they were always focused on the other world, the afterlife. This life was horrible. We look for the life to come. For instance, what is the highest form of spirituality in the Middle Ages? It's the monk, the one who retreats from the world, who lives contemplating the essence of God, not interacting with anyone, anything. But for the Reformed believer, the Protestant believer after the Reformation, they saw spirituality as being expressed in work, in living in the world, at being at work in the world, living out a response to God's love and to God's works. One of the things where where we can see this is, or one of the places where we can see this is in Calvin's catechism. We can quote a part of that. Calvin had a catechism similar to the the Heidelberg catechism, structured around the, the master, the teacher asking a question, and the scholar or the student responding. So the master asked, what is the chief end of human life? And the scholar, to know God by whom men were created. Master, what is the highest good of man? Scholar, the very same thing. Master, what is true and right knowledge of God? Scholar, when he is so known that due honor is paid to him. And then finally the master asked, what is the method of honoring him truly? And the scholar, the student answers, to place our whole confidence in him, to study, to serve him during our whole life by obeying his will, to call upon him in all our necessities, seeking salvation in every good thing that can be desired in him. And lastly, to acknowledge him both with heart and lips as the sole author of all blessings. That is the Reformed confession of work. That is a rediscovery of the biblical teaching on work. To acknowledge, to come to know God, the author of all blessings, and to live that out in life. That's why we serve Him. That's how we serve Him. That's why we work. That's how we work. And that's why as we went through Proverbs, we looked at those Passages that spoke about the sluggard. That's why the book of Proverbs speaks so strongly against the sluggard. The sluggard is is someone who does not know God, who doesn't have that fear of God in him, who doesn't long to glorify God, to acknowledge him with his work. The sluggard refuses to work. He squanders the gifts that God has given. And if, as we saw in Proverbs 21, even he's, the, the, the sluggard's given a vineyard, a completely built vineyard with wealth, and even that, he allows that to just fall to pieces. Now, it's important for us to see that the sluggard is not the same as the poor. In Proverbs, the poor are to be looked after. Now, there may be some situation or some type of illness that puts the poor where they are. They are to be looked after. But the sluggard is one who is able-bodied, who is able to work, but who refuses to work and who puts himself into poverty because of that refusal to work. He refuses to use the gifts and abilities that God has given him. And he, in effect, steals from God. That is why our confession can speak 
of squandering of gifts connected to the Eighth Commandment, connected to stealing. He steals, he robs God of the glory that is due him, robs God of, of that praise that is to be brought to him as we do our work. And that's not just the teaching of Proverbs. We see it continued in the New Testament. Ephesians 4, 28, says there, Paul says, there, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must do work, doing something useful with his hands. 2 Thessalonians 3, we read that earlier. He warns the Thessalonians to stay away from the idol, not to get caught up in their ways and, and to work hard, following, in fact, Paul's example. Our work is something that God calls us to do. Use our gifts. Use them to His glory. Use our gifts to the glory of God's kingdom. Paul, as he instructs the Thessalonians, as he instructs the Ephesians, is focused on the, on the glory of God. That is the motivation for our work. So the question that comes to us as we hear the testimony of Scripture, as we look at our lives in, within the realm of the Eighth Commandment, what, what does that say about us? Are we known as those who work hard? You know, it's often said, it used to be said, that Canadian Reformed people are hard workers. You would have an employer that found out that you were Canadian Reformed or say, hey, do you have more friends? I want them to come work for me. You guys know how to work. And that indeed did bring glory to God. The question is, are we still known for that? And I'm not always sure that we are. Are we known as those who work for the glory of God, who work hard, who use everything they have, all their gifts, all their abilities, use them to their utmost and use them for God's glory? That is something to reflect on as you think about this week, about the use of your gifts. When you think about the perspective that you have as you look at the use of your gifts, are you using the gifts that God has given you to His glory? Or are you holding back? And as we consider gifts, we also have to look at what happens when we use those gifts. Because, as the book of Proverbs shows, as, as we can see from our lives, when we do use our gifts, God does use that as a way to bless us with goods. The question then comes to us, how do we use those goods? You know, the gifts come from God, but we must realize that the goods come from God as well. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. So even if we recognize our gifts as coming from God, the, the product of our hands, the product of our gifts is also from God. And we need to see that. Those gifts or those goods that we, that we receive as a product of our work, those are not ours. They belong to God. The root of the eighth commandment, the commandment not to steal, is that everything belongs to God. It's not ours. Stealing is about looking at possessions. It's about looking at goods as being ours and being the ultimate end. If we love goods more than the one who gave us the goods, 
then we have a problem. And what happens when we waste or when we squander the goods that we have been given? We have a problem with our view of where those gifts came from and who they belong to. In fact, the miser also has an improper perspective on goods. He has held them too tightly. When we read the Eighth Commandment, which we read a few moments ago, we, we need to have that preamble in our mind. There the Lord says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And has been, as, as has been pointed out before, you could stick a therefore in front of every commandment. You could say the preamble before every commandment and then therefore. So I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, therefore, don't steal. I am your God who has given you all things. Don't steal. Use your gifts and your goods to my glory. Live a life of thankfulness to me. The Israelites were called to do that because of their deliverance from Egypt, from being given the promised land. We have even more reason for thankfulness. As we look at the Lord, as we come to know Him, we see what He has done for us in Jesus Christ. He, he plucked us from nothing. He made us His children in Jesus Christ. He saved us from our sins, made us new. He's renewing us by His Holy Spirit. And by that Spirit, when we hear that, when we are confirmed in that gospel, we are motivated more and more to use our goods for His glory. We're moved to live a life of thankfulness, a life governed by the Spirit. And that's something that, that naturally happens. It's not something that's forced or coerced. Proverbs 6 talks about the ant. You know, the ant doesn't need anyone to tell him what to do. He he just does his job. And that's what we do as Christians. We do our job. Why do you work hard, you might get asked? You say, well, I'm a Christian. That's just what I do. I do everything for the glory of my God. And I want to. I don't do it for fear of punishment. I don't do it for, for desiring a great reward. No, I simply do it. Because I have God working a new nature in me. A nature that longs to live for Him. And that natural desire that comes from us as we are renewed by the Spirit is not something that is simply about mission work or about doing charity work or, or church work. No, it's about daily work. Whether you're, you're working in the kitchen, whether you're working in the office, you're a plumber, electrician, teacher, minister, nurse, lawyer, doctor, whatever occupation you can imagine. Each and every one of those is an opportunity to serve and glorify God. Every day is a new opportunity to wake up and say, thank you, Lord, for the gifts and talents you have given me. Thank you for the gifts and goods that you have given me. May I use them to your glory. But there's more. Because by the Spirit, we are also moved to look beyond 
beyond that. God pushes us forward to say, yes, look to my glory, but growing out of that, that love of me, I call you to love your neighbor. The Lord speaks to us in his word, and he tells us that idleness and laziness, greed and waste, they impact our neighbor. And so a proper perspective of gifts and goods means that we use those gifts and goods for the good of our neighbor. It grows out of our love for God. In Proverbs 21, 25, and 26, we read these words, The sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous, they give without sparing. You know, what, what the author is describing there is, is the sluggard, the one who refuses to work, he still wants stuff. He craves, but he doesn't have. He won't work. He refuses to work, but he still wants it. And what that means is he requires the work of others to have it. The sluggard often has to resort to stealing or living off the wealth of others. But the righteous, on the other hand, is a complete opposite picture. The righteous works with his hands and gives without sparing. The righteous do not hold back. They see what they have in terms of gifts and goods and they give. They naturally give to others. It's interesting, those passages that we read earlier that talked about working hard, they also talk about serving the neighbor. Ephesians 4.28, which we quoted earlier, Paul tells the person not to steal and to work, but then right away he follows up by saying, so that he may have something to share with those in need. 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul speaks of working so that one can eat. 1 Thessalonians 4.12, Paul says to the Thessalonians that they should work so that you will not be dependent on anybody. You know, it's a beautiful thing to depend on others when you are in need. That is a beautiful picture. It's a picture of life within the communion of the saints. And that is something that we are called to do if we have needs. God has given us his people, and we support one another. That's a beautiful picture. And we should not rob God's people of the opportunity to live out their love by accepting what others will give to us when we are in need. It's a beautiful thing where we see God taking care of his children. But it is an ugly thing to see someone who will not work leeching off of that love taking advantage of that love. And you hear stories of that all the time. You know, there's aid agencies that see Christians coming a mile away. They look to take advantage of the love that Christians wish to show. And there's something that is so ugly and disgusting about that when we hear it. So within the communion of the saints, that is a picture of ugliness when you have someone who is a sluggard, but who lives off of others. And so as you look at the use of your gifts and goods and your neighbor, you must keep in mind that God has given them to you and he expects you to use them a certain way. We have spoken of this as being a steward of the gifts that we have been given. They are not ours to do with as we please. 
Dauma, who many of you are familiar with, wrote a commentary on the Ten Commandments. And, and in that book, he speaks of a steward mindset, and he contrasts it with a tenant mindset. That's a wonderful way of, of explaining or looking at how we are to use our gifts and goods for the neighbor. See, a tenant is given something and they pay a certain amount of rent and they can do whatever they want with that. If you, if you are a tenant, you have a building, you, you pay the owner a certain amount and then you can do whatever you want with that building. But if you're a steward of that building, that means you're accountable to the owner. You can't do whatever you want with the building. And I do think that within our circles, I know when I look back over my life, I know that it, that is often that tenant mindset is something that is always there. I give my bit to the church. I give my bit to charity. The rest is mine. I can do whatever I want with it. Nobody can say anything. I did my bit. The steward mindset says all that I have is God's. And God calls me to use all that I have to his glory. Not just the 10%, not just the little bit that I give to the church. A steward looks at his gifts and goods as belonging to God and uses them as God has directed him to use them. And that's why I think you'll see as you compare Christian companies and secular companies, you'll see a fundamental difference in the way they operate. You know, a company run by Christian principles will see that they are running a company that actually belongs to God. They will, they will work hard within that money, or sorry, they will work hard within that company. They will, they will try to make money. They will use their gifts to the glory of God. But they will also show their love to their neighbors. They will treat their employees properly. They will see them as human beings and not as vehicles to more money. Whereas a company run by worldly principles. Those of you who work for publicly traded companies are very aware of this. You are simply something that generates money. You are a means to profit. You are not someone who is loved. A corporation does not love. You are there to increase shareholder value. So the question that comes to us as we consider all of this do we have a proper perspective on gifts and goods? Do we view our gifts and goods as things that God has given to us so that we may support one another? Do we see them as all belonging to God and to be used to His glory? Or do we view our gifts as ours? Are we being good stewards or are we being self-interested tenants? That's a question that we can all ask. That's not just business owners. No, you can ask that if you're a student in school. Are you using your gifts to the best of your ability? Are you treating your fellow classmates the way they should be treated? Within the church, are you treating one another the way you should? Are you using your gifts to help your neighbor? You know, we are a new community in Christ. 
That is what the church is. That church that has been gathered together. It is a new community in Christ. And we're called to support one another as we live out our love for God. As we live as that new people, that new humanity. Christ died for us. He made us sons and daughters of the Lord. He died for us out of his love for us. He gave us all things. And as you reflect on that, you have to say, what does that mean for my life? What does that mean for the way that I work? What does that mean for the way I give? It means, yes, when we look at the Eighth Commandment, we say, yes, I don't take what doesn't belong to me. But it also means taking what God has given you and using them to His glory and to the upbuilding of the neighbor. So as you go out this week, as you do your tasks, look to Christ. Look to what you have in Christ. Look to who you are in Christ. Know the wonder of God. Know the wonder of the community of Christ. And be moved by the Spirit to live that life of thankfulness as you use your gifts and goods. Amen. Let us now sing in response to the proclamation of the word Psalm 112. And we'll sing the stanzas 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. If you're able, please rise.